if life was hanging in the balance. And they pressed Him over and over. Who are you? I'm a Christian. That's all that He would say. See, it was a time when Christianity was illegal. We have t-shirts that talk about Christianity being illegal, and we've maybe thought about it a little bit, but it's so hard for us to comprehend a time when a man could lose his life for making the claim, I am a Christian. Believers. People like you. People like me. Believers face intense persecution. They face the threat of being imprisoned, the threat of being tortured, the threat of even being put to death. This young man who history would tell us his name was Sanctus. Not a made-up story. A real man. A real brother in Christ. Simply stood before his accusers and said, I am a Christian. Repeatedly he was threatened to renounce his faith. I am a Christian. We read about this young man through the writings of a historian by the name of Eusebius. Eusebius would record that Sanctus girded himself against his accusers with such firmness that he would not even tell his name or the nation or the city to which he belonged or whether he was, or whether he was bond or free. But he answered in the Roman tongue to all of their questions, I am a Christian. He was condemned, history would tell us, to die. He died from making that statement, forced to run the gauntlet to face the wild beasts. Fastened to a chair of burning iron, his accusers knew that they could break him. They believed that they could break him. They believed that they could cause him to renounce his faith. And Eusebius says, even thus, they did not hear a word from Sanctus except the confession which he had uttered from the beginning. I am a Christian. Brethren, I hope and I pray that we can find our identity in Christ, as this man did. An identity that speaks to every other aspect of our life, that whatever might be said about you or about me or about our character, simply to know I am a Christian is enough. Another historian notes of these Christians like Sanctus and others, he says that they would reply to all the questioning about them with short but very comprehensive answers. I am a Christian again and again. And they cause, he says, no little perplexity to their judges by the pretensity with which they adhered to this brief profession of faith. The question would be asked over and over, Who are you? And they would reply, I have already said that I am a Christian. And he who says that has thereby named his country, his family, his profession, and all things else besides. I am a Christian. It makes you stop and think 
about what that statement means. In a, sta- in a culture and in a society where it's not illegal to be a Christian, I have no fear to stand before you, to stand before the world, to stand on. I have no Christian. I have no fear to say I am a Christian. As a matter of fact, in in our culture, living with the blessings of living in Savannah, Tennessee, it's not a perfect place, but this is a place where it's quite acceptable. Even I would say, in many cases, expected that we would make that plea. What does it mean to be a Christian? For some, it is a cultural title. For some, it's a reflection upon upon our place in society. For some, it's a reflection upon their parents or or upon their, their upbringing or the previous generation. For some, it's a statement of, of the avoidance of certain moral moral behaviors. For some, it means that they go to church, they come together to worship God on occasion. For some people, it's a largely political statement. Uh, To be a Christian for some is akin to to naming their their political affiliation and the things that they vote for or they don't vote for as as they quest to defend morality in the public square. For some, it's a statement about a past religious experience. For some, it is a a statement of a general belief that they believe in Jesus or that they have a desire to be a good person. Can I contend tonight that while all those things may be true, that when this man Sanctus stood before his accusers and he said, I am a Christian, it meant all of those things but it meant something much, much more than that. Sanctus was making a claim, a claim that we find over and over in the Bible. It's a language that we don't typically use because of our cultural conditioning, but he was saying, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Christ. He was making the statement, I am the slave of Jesus the Christ. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he says, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. To be a slave... I don't know about you, but there, there's something about that word that, that I struggle with. I, I, I like to focus on who I am, not always on who I belong to. But Paul would make the argument we all belong to someone. Either you are a slave of sin, and if you are a Christian, then you know something about being a slave of sin. You know something about the power that sin has and threatens to have on your life. Or you are a slave to Christ. In, in a lot of our Bibles, we, we lose some of this verbiage. That, that The Bible, it doesn't talk about... It doesn't talk about being a slave. and Rather, it talks about being a, a, a servant. Because the, the, there's a stigma attached. Uh, a stigma attached as we... When we think of the idea of slavery, typically we think of, the, of what the Civil War was fought over. 
right? We think of African Americans in chains and cruel treatment of a master who did not care for them and a master who would abuse them. And, and, and understandably, our desire is to avoid any association with that. It is shocking when we go back and we look even some at our history, even some at our relatively recent history, at some of the things that men of God preached and taught uh, about the relationship between the races and the slave trade of the British Empire and colonial America. And we, we say, I, I don't want anything to do with that. But yet, this word, this doulos, slave, that's what it means. There's a separate word for servant. A lot of our Bibles say servant because they have more of a Latin influence than they have of a Greek influence. But literally, more correctly, the idea is not just that I'm there to serve. The idea is that I belong to someone. Servants are hired, but slaves are owned. We have a great need. In all of our churches, all across this world, to understand that our Christianity is not about adding Jesus to our life. It's not about having all of these things in our life and all of these things that describe us. And one of the things, even one of the big things that we may put on the shelf is our Christianity. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not part of our collection. Christianity means that we have completely given ourselves over to our Lord and to our Savior. This is what Paul wrote about in Galatians chapter 2. We sing about it, don't we? In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but yet it is Christ who lives in me. The life that I do live, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. What's He saying? He's not saying I'm a servant. He's saying I'm a slave. I belong to someone else. As we go back into New Testament times, we need to understand that slavery is much different in that context than it would be in our mind. I think this is important to keep us from having that emotional reaction. In that context, slavery was not about simply one race or one religion. Slavery was existing across all demographics. It was a reality for all ages, for all genders, for all eth ethnicities. That, that's not like American slavery. Slaves, truth be told, were involved in almost every occupation. People with a great deal of authority, people who were quite mobile in society, many times would have technically been called slaves, from the shopkeeper to the doctor. The truth is, if we go back and look at the historical documents, it would have been difficult for you to distinguish between a free man and a slave in the first century. We're not talking about shackles and chains. We're talking about people, people that many times would volunteer for slavery. We're not talking about something that is forced upon people. We're, talk, we're talking about an institution that many times people would sign up for. 
Because slavery in many, in many ways and in many practices offered people a great degree of social and economic protection. But they didn't have to worry about where they were going to sleep and they didn't have to worry about where their next meal was going to come from. And many, many, many people found great respect simply because of who they were joined to. We want to distance ourselves from anything like the, the British and the American slave trade, but, but we don't want to become overly romantic about the idea of slavery, right? They were still slaves. That word still means that they belong to someone and their objective. Their mission in life was to please the Master in everything that they did. The thought was always, what does the Master want? What would please my Master? I have been crucified with Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not about me anymore. I'm His slave. I've given myself over. It might help us to see that it's different. If you look at places like Mark chapter 14, you remember when Jesus finds Himself there in the garden and all of the soldiers have come and Peter gets excited and the Bible says that a certain one of those who stood by, he drew his sword and he struck the slave of the high priest and he cut off his ear. Now, we could say a lot about that, but I simply want you to note the high priest... The high priest of God, who even though he was carrying out an incredibly wicked thing at this very moment, was a spiritual and a, a righteous and a respectable, a very respectable part of that, of that society. He had a slave. He had a slave. Even the most prominent re religious leader had a slave. When we make the statement that Paul makes in Romans chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 2, it's the statement of what it means to say I am a Christian. It means that we are His possession. It means that we belong to someone. The Bible speaks in Exodus chapter 19 as God speaks to the nation of Israel. And He, and he, and he, says, he says to this nation, He says, If you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, then you shall be My own possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I belong to God. I belong to my Lord and to my Savior. I am not independent. Christianity is not something that you do on your own. Christianity is something that you do in conjunction to your Master. Who do you belong to? Sometimes Deacon and I are, are wrestling around and, 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 and we're just messing around. And, and, and I'll, I'll ask him, I say, Who, Who's your daddy, son? Who's your daddy? Because I, 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 and we, we play around. I want him, I want him to, to remember. I'm, I'm, I'm the dad, right? And, and, he's, and he's the son. Sometimes, whenever we're doing that, I think about God and I wonder. How often do I focus upon the fact that I have a Father? I have a Father 
whom I belong to, who made me, who loves me, who says, I want you to be mine. Why would He choose me? I don't, I don't know the answer to those things. Why would He bless me? I don't have the answers. But yet to embrace that idea that I belong to Him. In a world that is filled with so much uncertainty, in a, world, in a world where so many people feel so alone, in a world where so many people are worried about their relationships to know, listen, I belong to the Creator of all the universe. I belong to the Christ. I am a Christian. That's what God was getting at when He spoke to the nation of Israel. He said, he said in Leviticus 25, For the sons of Israel, they are my slaves. They are my slaves whom I have brought out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He says, those are my people. They belong to me. His statement is one. His statement is one that says, they belong to me. I fight for them. I bless them because they belong to me. That's my child. That's my wife. That's my husband. You don't mess with them. We all get it, don't we? That we have a God that says, that's my child. We have a God that we can say, that's my God. I belong to Him. Paul wrote to Titus and he said, he spoke of Christ who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous, who are zealous for good deeds. You know, sadly, throughout the history of the nation of Israel, they forgot, didn't they? They rebelled and for one reason or another, and whether it made any sense or not, they constantly rebelled against this idea that they belonged to someone. But it was always to their detriment. The challenge is not to be beaten down. The challenge is to embrace this ideology, this theology, this understanding. I belong to the Lord. I don't have any other master. But I do have a master. No one in this world is my master. But I do have a master. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a blessing. That's a blessing to be His possession. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, verse 24. I mean, we, we, the challenge with this lesson is that there's so many verses that we could pull out that use the, this, this terminology. I mean, it's flooded throughout the Bible. I belong to someone. Galatians 5 and verse 24, Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I don't want to sin. Not because, not because I want to keep some, some strict law code. I don't want to sin because of who I belong to. I don't want to sin because I don't want to offend my God. I don't want to sin because I don't want to break my God's heart. Do I see my God in that way? I belong to Him. I, 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 don't, I know every child is not born with this, but one of the things that, that really helped me in my childhood was, was a very strong sense of what He's talking about here. Of crucifying or doing away or, or uh, repressing, maybe if you will, the, 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 the will of the flesh. Because I did not, I did not want to break my mother's heart. 
Do I think about my God in the same way that sometimes I think I thought about my own mother? I want to please Him because I belong to Him. Because He has purchased me. This amazing thing where we wonder about our value, friends. Our value? Everyone in this room who stands up to say, I am a Christian or making a comment of what our value is. And it's not value that you can measure in dollars or gold or rubies. It is a value that can only be measured in the blood of the very Son of God Himself. Who here is worth dying for? Every person here. But not just worth a man dying for. The Son of God. The Creator of the universe. The sinless. The perfect. The One who should have never had to die. Who should have never had to suffer. Who should have never had to come to this world. He's the One that died. Not just for all of mankind. He's the One that died to purchase Me. To redeem you. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body to understand there has been a high price, the greatest price that has been paid so that I can stand here and say, I am a Christian. For me to stand here of my own merit? No man can do that. No man can make those claims. But Paul would say, I am what I am by the very grace of God. Because somebody, not somebody, because the Son of God paid the price. He bought me. He made a comment about how He feels about me, about what He thinks about mankind. We all know John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's a comment upon our relationship with God. He paid the price. Paul would write or meet with the elders from Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and he would warn them. He would tell them to be on your guard for all the flock. Why? Because it is the church of God. I'm not asking you to watch my purse. I'm not asking you to watch my car. I'm not asking you to pick up my mail. I'm not even asking you to hold my child. I'm asking you to watch and to protect something that cost the blood of Christ. That's what a Christian is. A purchased people. A people who belong to Him. A people who are slaves. His possession. Purchased by the blood of Christ. And because of that, a people who can embrace the idea of complete submission. This is, this is the struggle. We don't like that word submission. But submission, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't just have to do with men and women or, or members and elders or, 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 or teachers. And it doesn't have to do with... It has to do with all those things, but not just to do. It has to do with every Christian. The Christian life is about one of submission that says, He is my Lord, not just my Savior. He is my Lord and He is my Savior. And I would contend to do without either one of those things. You have a faulty image of who God is. Don't take Him out as your Savior. Don't take Him out as your Lord. 
Jesus would say in Matthew 7 and 21, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What are we saying? When we say He is the Lord. Rolls off our tongue, doesn't it? I mean, we can sing it. It's terminology, especially... I struggle with this as, as someone who's just been in church all my life. It's so easy to say some of these things, right? To talk about my Lord. To talk about my Savior. It's just the vernacular. It's the vocabulary. We, we sing those things. But what do, we, what, what do those things mean? What, 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 what do those statements really mean? When we say, Jesus is the Lord, we are affirming. We are affirming His absolute supremacy. Not just over this world. Not just over physical and the moral universe. Not just over all human beings. Not just over the living and the dead. Not just over the church. But we are affirming His power and His authority over me. Over my life. That's what that young man was saying when he stood before those people who would threaten his life. And he would say, I am a Christian. I don't answer to you. You may kill me, but I won't reject my Lord over those things. I'm His slave. Complete submission. Paul would write in Colossians, Colossians 3 and verse 22, and he says, slaves, slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We're not talking, and, and God never calls simply for us to be a people who just do what we have to do because we have to do that. He calls on us to be a people who will even embrace submission, who can rejoice in submission with sincerity of heart. The motivation is far more profound and far more powerful than simply the idea of duty. I believe duty has a very important part in the Christian life. It's an essential part. But if you stop right there, that's not what God wants. And there was a time when I would obey my father because if I didn't, my father could, could, could whoop my rear. Right? Right, Ben? Yeah, Ben's got that head shaking over there. Sorry, Adam, you know. But, but, that's, but you know what? I don't obey my father because he can whoop my rear anymore. I don't do it. I think your daddy can still take you, Ben, so be careful. Alright? My daddy can't. I still, I still revere my father. I still respect him. I still listen to him. Many, in many ways, I still obey him. Why? Because we go beyond. We go beyond that duty. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Genuine believers are characterized by a deep and a passionate love. The idea of the slave is not the idea of the person who is forced to do something or else, or else they're going to be shot. The idea of the slave is, is, is the individual who will go and they, they will say, you pierced my ear. 
You, you, we don't have time tonight, but you go and you read Exodus chapter 21 about the individual who, who would choose to be a slave. He says, I want to be His servant. I want to belong to that man. I want to belong to that individual to show that singular devotion. Singular devotion. Life is so complex. Don prayed tonight. I loved, I loved your prayer, Don. I thought it was powerful of how many things that we're going through, of how many things that we're struggling with. May we simplify those things simply to have a singular devotion. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians that we are to have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. That's it. But that will take care of everything. That will guide us in everything that we do. Simply to have it as our ambition to be pleasing to our Master because of the love that He has for us and because of the love that we have for Him, I choose to be His slave. Paul would say in Romans 14 and verse 8, For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. For therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's what everything comes to. Everything comes back to that. You name it. Whatever's on your mind right now. It comes back to that. I'm here to serve the Lord. That's it. And it may find its way out with tentacles into all sorts of our life. Not might. It will. But that's what it means when a man stands before his accusers and he says, I am a Christian. And I depend upon God. I depend upon God. The proverb writer talks about people who would build these high walls in their life, but he says that they are walls in their own imagination. To be a slave of Christ says that we are depending upon God. There are many things that you will face in life I don't have the answers to. No one has the answers to. Simply beyond trusting in God. That's why when Jesus says things like He does in Matthew 6, when He says, do not be anxious, do not worry, and we say, how in the world? How can I not worry? How can I not be anxious? That doesn't make sense to us. Don't you know how bad it is? Don't you know how scary it is? Don't you know, how I, don't, don't you know what's going on? Change our perspective. He does know. I'm going to trust. It's like he told Job. You're going to trust. What shall we drink? What shall we eat? With what shall we clothe ourselves? These are things that the Gentiles eagerly seek. The mall is flailing. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Why? Because I've forgotten who's with me. That doesn't mean it's easy street. That doesn't mean that all the problems go away. It means that I walk with the Lord. It means that that God of sovereignty, His sovereignty, the fact that He is in control, brings such unspeakable comfort and peace. It is a peace that, that, that Paul would say passes all human understanding. Isn't that what he says there in Philippians 2? Because I belong to Him. I remember when I was a kid, we would go to the cotton carnival. There were lots of cotton, and that was the big that was the big carnival that came to town, and they had this thing called the bullet. 
And it was this big green thing and probably shook like crazy and probably was a very bad idea to get in. But when I was six or seven years old, I knew it was a bad idea to get in. It scared me to death. I remember I got in that thing with my dad. And I was completely confident. I was completely confident. Nothing can happen to me. Nobody can touch me. Why? Because my daddy is right here beside me. I remember that feeling as if it were yesterday. He says, you trust in me. Because I'm here. Because I know. Because I care. You depend upon me. Cast your burdens upon me. That's why Paul could say, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. There's some bad, bad stuff in this world. Isn't there? But you don't know who I belong to. You don't know who my God is. You think you can scare me? You think you can scare me by threatening my life? You think you can scare me by, by telling me the things you're going to do to me? And, and from there, let's just go down to all the things that the world tries to intimidate and scare us with. You can't scare me. You can't take those things away from me. I answer to my Lord, to my God, the words of Paul, the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that in, many, in some ways we read and we think, man, Paul just had a chip on his shoulder. No, he didn't. He understood the things that we're talking about. When he says to me, listen, people saying this, people saying that. He says, I'm okay. Because to me, it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you. Boy, you know, okay. Or by any human court. In fact, let's take it a step. He says, I don't even answer. I don't even examine myself. The truth is, I'm not conscious of anything against myself. But yet, I am not acquitted by this. But the one who examines me is the Lord. He is my master. He is my Lord. I am His slave. I am His doulos. He's the one that I will answer to. As we stand before the world, simply to stand, maybe never to lose our life, but we stand to say, I am a Christian. That's not just about how we vote. That's not just about what we're opposed to. It's not just about, it's not just about what we do on Sunday mornings. It's a statement that says, I belong to someone. I belong to the Creator of the universe. I, I worship Him. I depend upon Him. I lean upon Him. He's the one that I answer to. And the reality is, one day, one day the Master is going to return. He's coming again. That amazing parable of the talents in Matthew 25 where he talks about the kingdom of heaven and the master who would, who, would bless his, who would bless his children with different talents and then he would go away. But the Bible says that one day the master returned and to those 
You know the story. To those whom were who he found faithful doing his will, the master said to them, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. One day, to be in the presence of the master for all of eternity, it's not about this life. It really isn't. As much as we think it is, it's not about this life. Belonging to Jesus is not just about this life. It's about the life. It's about the eternity that would come in the very near future when the Master returns. Friends, are we ready for the Master to return? Have we stood before the world? Have we stood, have we stood before our friends and before our family? Have we stood in the mirror and simply said, I am a Christian. I want to proclaim that. I want the world to know it. I want my friends and family to hear that. I want it to affect my life. But more than anything, I want my God to hear those words. And I want Him to see those words in the life that I live. Don't you come tonight? Maybe to be baptized into Christ. Maybe to return to walking in His light. Maybe to simply have His, have His amazing comfort and strength wrapped around you. But simply to say, I am a Christian. Why don't you do that tonight as we stand and as we...